You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. If you want to learn about the music industry and you don't know where to go, tune in to WP88.7. on an FM dial if you're in a Passaic County area. Otherwise, you're going to tune in and you're getting it there live Wednesday nights at the Alas Ocho time. Right. Oh, Dr. Esteban. Marconi. Yes. Tune in tries to trick you, tries to get you the premium right away. <laughs> and you have to hit that other button that says listen now. That's right. Listen now. Don't forget. I want you to do the premium. Try. You can always listen to us. You can listen to our podcast on uh, SoundCloud and also on the iTunes. You should go to our website and make sure that you're going to musicbiz101wp.com. We have a student co-host who will be with us shortly, Christine Welsh. This is hey. part of a class that we do in the summer. Normally, we're in Nashville right now interviewing people and our students, MBA and undergrad, find people who interest them in the music industry and then they interview those people and then uh, bring them on. We do a radio show. However, because of the cancellation of Music Biz, we are now instead doing everything online and through Zoom. So Christine, who is here now, Christine... Um, was able to get our guest Marissa Skolnick and Christine will also do a little short bio of her when Marissa, when Marissa jumps on shortly. Marissa, if she was Russian, her name would be Mariska, but we believe she's American and therefore we can interview her on this and not have to worry about our election system. So you should go to our website, musicbiz101wp.com. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, the Facebook at musicbiz101wp the podcast, iTunes, and SoundCloud, which I said, Dr. Esteban, should we give thanks? We better. Let us give thanks to the folks at Van Dyne, Bruno Inc., and White Hat Management, because with artists like Dave Matthews, Three Doors Down St. Vincent, and KISS, and KISS, not just KISS, and KISS, in addition, they have KISS. There's only one place to go, not two, not three. There are no other places to go. There's one place to go for your band's business management, and you're going to go to VB vb-cpa.com when somebody like you is ready. We're not going to push you or force you. You have free will. However, when you're ready, that's where you're going. And we want to give thanks to Christine. Oi. They 
a wealth manager at the Forefront Group. Christine has helped professionals and those who are unprofessional at the University of William Patterson and all over the world manage their investments and plan out for their retirement. When somebody like you is thinking of building a bridge to your financial future, that person who is you should think about the Forefront Group and you should go to christine.oy.vey at forefront.com. We should mention- Leave the last oil off for savings. Yes, leave the last S off for savings. And we should also mention, we all the time talk about Christine- Oi. They and Aaron Van Dyne and Van Dyne Bruno because they help support our class when it goes to Nashville. Yes, Every, Yes, so they become our underwriters, our sponsors. Um, they become our sugar daddies in order to bring students to Nashville. And of course, we did not go to Nashville, but we're still doing everything we need to do. We should finally mention Music Biz. I should take that back. The Music Business Program at the University of William Patterson is one of the best rated by who ranked us one of the best ever, Dr. Stabon? Bill, yep. Bill Board. Bill yeah, that guy, Bill Board. Right. He's never excited about anything. Bill Board. Right. Check him out on LinkedIn. He ranked us one of the best ever for the third year in a row, the fourth out of six years. And we like to say that is a batting average of 660%, which is not only an MVP, but into the World Series. And we're probably going to hit a few home runs and we don't need steroids for that. We just need our pure brute strength, natural strength. Right, Dr. Stabon Emeritus? Yes, Emeritus. That's right. Yes. Christine, you are here with us. So say hello, Christine Welsh. Hello. There you go. So she still yeah, has a better. little bit. Say a few more words. Hi, how are you? Not same. Just yeah. with, we're just going to live with it. That's all. Okay. So we'll just pretend it's there. So for, for those of you listening, when, when Christine speaks, you'll hear a little bit of distortion. It's not because uh, she has a sore throat. It's because of the issues of technical, thanks to Zoom or the internet or Al Gore, who created the World Wide Web from scratch. But there could be something wrong with your ears. Or it could be your fault, listener. Maybe you should just blame the listener. Everything sounds great. So if the listener hears any distortion with when Christine speaks, it's the listener. No idea. Great. Ah, okay. Hello. Now, Marissa. Hey, you hear us. How are you guys? Great. We're great. How are you, Marissa? I'm doing well. I'm recovering from my birthday yesterday. So it's been a rough day. <laughs> wow. Wow. 21. Good, good for you. 21. You know yeah. it. You know it. Yeah. Good. Very good. How's everybody else? Where are you guys? We're all in New Jersey. Three of us are in New Jersey. That's right. There you go. And where are you? I escaped New York. Um, Ah. I've been in Los Angeles for the past month and a week. Ah. um, And probably going to be here for the summer. So it's very weird. They're getting a spike, though, aren't they, right now? They're what? They're getting a spike in the virus, so we read. Yeah, I mean... uh, uh, Southern California. Yeah, I'm staying with um, a friend and we really don't go out at all. So I actually already had it. Yeah. In, we're in Mar- here in New York? I had it in New York. I um, In March. Yeah, I had it in March in Friday the 13th. Oh. <laughs> so they locked um, everything down. Yeah. Yeah. So March 13th is when the city was not shut down yet. So they were like 50% capacity everywhere. So I actually went to a restaurant, came back, and then three days later, I was pretty deathly sick for 13 days straight. Wow. So now you have antibodies. I do. I I was sick for 13 days. I actually went to the hospital for six days. And then I got back and I was quarantined for an extra month, got the antibody test, was positive, and then... Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it's. Did you have to go to the hospital? I did. I went for six days. 
Were you on the um, ventilator and all that? No, I got very lucky. Um, I didn't really have any of the upper respiratory issues, but I did go to the hospital because my fever wouldn't break for over seven days. So I went to the urgent care and they tested me positive for pneumonia. So then we were worried that it was going to get more upper respiratory. So I got sent to the hospital to just take all precautions. Right. Good times. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, we're glad to hear you're better. Thank you. Yeah, it seems like a lifetime ago, but it's definitely no joke. So yeah, we know that. Yeah. We're still in the epicenter. I know. With everything going on on top of it, it just, 2020 is just a year. Yeah. Well, Christine, why don't you give us a quick intro of Marissa Skolnick, and then we can, um, you can start with your questions, and we can see how Marissa does with these questions and see if she lasts the whole time or if she hangs up on us. (laughs) Technical difficulties. Yes, that's right, all of a sudden. (laughs) So this is Marissa Skolnick. She uh, worked for Mindshare and since then has developed an app that is a communal sharing app that brings music and celebrities together. And with her co-founder, Dustin O'Dell. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and the background of EBZ Drop? Yeah, I'll give you a background of myself quickly. So I'm about 15 years in the advertising industry. I've worked at different corporations across all different verticals. I think 2009-2010 is really when I went headfirst into the digital era, um, mobile startups, um, love the digital space. But yeah, my, my kind of passion was the startup. So when people were starting to take all the meetings with the regular players, like the YouTubes and Googles of the world, I was taking it with these emerging tech companies that no one really ever heard of because I was very keen on trying to create first-to-market opportunities for my clients. So my clients range from anything to Sesame Street to Victoria's Secret. Um, I ran the U.S. digital team for Chanel for three years. I worked on Royal Caribbean, CBS, MoMA, the Museum of Modern Art in New York. Um, Really all different verticals, Sprint, Nextel, Kind of goes on. I currently also am back at Mindshare in between kind of working on eavesdrop and getting a paycheck. Uh, and I work across Unilever, the largest obviously CPG brand, across their deodorant brands and now their hair brand. So yeah, my passion really started with startups. I started consulting for a lot of them and then I got the bug. And about three years ago, Dustin was actually my rep and I was his client and we of grew up in the industry together for over 10 years and he came to me with the concept for eavesdrop three years ago and it was a no-brainer to me just knowing the marketplace and understanding kind of the gap between social sharing and where the music industry was there was no place to simultaneously listen to music together there was unless you were at a physical space like a concert or a festival so and that doesn't mean that you can't be in a physical space and just turn like press play It was how do people connect across the world and listen to music simultaneously and even more so like with their favorite athletes or artists, et cetera. So the whole Genesis story really was Dustin was watching basketball um, on TV. He saw LeBron James with his headphones on and just like any fan, he wanted to know what he was listening to and he didn't want a branded article. He didn't want 
a playlist that was saying LeBron James playlist. He wanted to be in his headphones and feel that passion with him. And I think everyone remembers kind of that infamous picture of Michael Phelps right before the Olympics. And he had the huge headphones on and everyone wants to know what he was listening to. And that's what we created. But I'm sure you guys have more questions. I could pause there, but there's a long story of the past three years of where we were, but we thought we were building and where we're at now. Who is your, your target audience and how do you market to them now? Yeah, so we're a bit different now. So if you do want me to go into the backstory of it, we were an app. So we developed an app. It was for iOS. And what we did was we basically pulled in with our dev team all the DSPs. So we pulled in Spotify, we pulled in Apple, SoundCloud at the time, and Audio Mac, and we gave the ability for people to basically broadcast their music. So what that meant was it pulled in and mirrored your account. So if you were an Apple user, you would download our app, you would log into Apple, all your music would populate automatically, you would create a profile, you would follow people, it became a very social app, um, but with music within it. What we noticed pretty quickly is when we started actually going live about a year and a half, two years into development, um, our target audience was really anyone that loved music, but we saw a lot of the younger kind of demos. So we were working with the music labels and how they were utilizing us was anytime there was an album dropping, instead of doing these exclusive listening parties where like 40 people could come, we were creating digital inclusive listening parties that were across the world. So we worked with different music labels like Atlantic and Universal, et cetera. And they would take their artists and if they had a big moment, whether it was a new single or a new album, they would go on our app, promote it, market it to their fan base and say, I'm going to go live on eavesdrop. That enabled people to download the app, create their own profile, follow the artist, and then join the live session. What we noticed when we did that was we got a lot of traction really fast, but every time there wasn't an artist live on the platform, we had no return because we just needed constantly having live moments or celebrities on it and that was pretty impossible as a startup and also just seeing in the music space like other competitors kind of trying to do the same thing and like no one was really getting a lot of traction because of this whole retention issue of you know it's music right we're pretty much always listening to the same thing so what's going to make somebody stop their day if they're in a meeting like they're not going to end their meeting just to listen to music with somebody there had to be more of long story short to answer your question now who our audience is we've moved out of a b2c product and we're actually a b2b uh software right now so i'll get to that i don't know if you have questions there but i could keep going <laughs> keep going this is great yeah so what we did was we not only pulled in all the music dsps but um we added every social layer onto it so we gave the ability for people to live chat to add pictures and videos to live video stream and to actually have voiceover. Um, anything you can imagine when it comes to like Instagram live with Spotify, if they had a baby, we mm-hmm. pretty much developed that. The other constant feedback we were getting besides seeing the retention issue was a lot of the brands and the labels we were working with wanted to own the experience. We got questioned of how much do we have in terms of spending to basically give these labels or brands money because in the long run they were pretty much promoting us. They were driving downloads for our platform. So being a startup and not really wanting to go down that route because we have so many connections and network marketing that way was kind of not a long-term sustainable option for us. But we did hear everyone out in terms of them wanting to own the experience. 
about a year ago, we did make the pivot based on the retention issue and based on hearing from our clients all the time that they wanted to own it. I'm seeing obviously friction points when it comes to an app, which is downloading, it was iOS only, creating profiles, following people. There's a lot of steps. So we um, basically deconstructed the entire app and we created now a software that is licensable for our brands and the labels and athletes or whoever to own. So if you could picture that LeBron example, listening in in real time with his fans, that experience doesn't have to live in our app anymore and that could actually live on ESPN and it could live on Bleacher Report and Players Tribune. So now what that does is it eliminates the friction points in terms of an audience signing into this, downloading all that, but it also allows us to capitalize on these larger players and their audiences, right? Millions of people and impressions go to ESPN every day. Why not allow them to use us as just the technology to power the experience so we become a content trader? So now it's just basically embedding our code within to their platform and there it is. And now they could, that's an extra revenue stream for them because they could sell sponsorships to take over that moment. So let's say the LeBron example again, Nike could sponsor that, right? It could be like going live with LeBron or going live with each player on Fridays, tune in. And now Nike could be the sponsor for the month or something. So it creates revenue streams, it creates new content, especially now with what's going on in the world. Um, connectivity and the ability for people to digitally kind of connect is more important than ever. And concerts and festivals are obviously canceled. Yeah, Yeah, so that's been our biggest pivot, which is huge. Um, But they say if you don't have a pivot, then you don't really know what you're doing. (laughs) I think it was an excellent idea because uh, when you found out that you could capture more audience in another way, and connect people that actually probably worked out better, but that's the process when you're starting a new, um, you know, app or a new entrepreneur type thing. So when you when you guys started all that, because you pretty much talked about a lot of the stuff I was going to ask you about. But in the very beginning, when you started that, two questions: um, How did it come about funding wise? Did you run raise money for funding, and but and how did you monetize it in the beginning? Yeah. So we did raise money. Um, we did a um, we did a couple of rounds: friends, family, small VCs, and angels. Uh, we raised about 1.5 million. Um, and from a revenue standpoint, we actually didn't start doing anything monetarily on our end because we wanted to get the app across so much in terms of making a good user experience. And the consumer was the first. I obviously come from the world of advertising, so that's my bread and butter. And I knew very, both of us knew that if we ignited the entire app with, app with ads, it was not going to be too organic. So we actually, our focus was more of awareness and getting people to download it rather than raising money ourselves. Now, the model has obviously changed, which we're just getting off the ground now, so it's good timing to talk about it, but we're just going back out to the market because the tech is ready, and we will obviously get revenue from a licensing fee and also a rev share from the sponsors. When you went for that 1.5, or when you raised that initial series, was that the goal 1.5, or that's just that's what you ended up with, or was your goal lower? Uh, no, the goal was 1.5. We did want to raise more recently when we were doing the pivot, 
but we've realized that a lot of the investors, the current ones and new ones, now we had kind of two years under our belt to show that the pivot was something that was pretty crucial and all we had was the app version. So it was kind of like needing to have that proof of concept first. So what we're doing now is trying to get um, multiple activations off the ground first and then go back out to rate. How did you come up with a 1.5? What were the factors that you knew and had, had, how did you know that? Like if you had never created an app before, how would you yeah. know how much money you needed to raise? Um, well, we leaned a lot on our advisors that were part of the team. We diversified our advisors really well in terms of having angel investors sit on the advisors. Um, we had people from the music industry. We had celebrities. We had uh, kind of different people in the, just the music industry itself. So we kind of saw what our competitors were doing. For one, we obviously talked with our third co-founders or CTO to figure out what development would cost. Um, so we factored that in, we factored our marketing budget, and then you kind of just go from there in terms of making sure that you don't raise too much because you don't want to have a down raise next time. So would we have raised more? Hindsight, probably yes. But I think that people ask me now, like, if I could have gone back and done this pivot first and done the software that was licensable first, would I do it? And I said, no, because I would never have gotten here unless we tried yeah. And we learned so much from doing the app and what people wanted that I think everything you do lead to, obviously, where you kind of net out. Huge learning experience, two years of really trying to bring it to life just to kind of go back to the table and not start over, but a different model. But I think that a B2B for myself personally is way more in our real home. I work with clients all day long. Like these are the brands that we're talking to. So uh, for me, pitching it to a brand rather than making an app go viral is something I feel much more comfortable. Now, as for the timeline, or I know that you with the pivot, it kind of started things, the ball rolling again. But where, like, what was your timeline for rolling this out? And because when I first started talking to you, you were still in beta. Yes, timeline. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And timeline in regards to where we're at now, or no, like when you very first started. I'm looking at this like from an entrepreneurship type of um, thing. And when you very first started, I know part of the planning would be would have to be we want to be here at this point and we're here at this point. And like I said, um, when I when I very first started talking to you, you guys were still in beta, and it was mm -hmm. mostly as you described it before, downloaded my Spotify and then shared it with everybody. As a matter yeah. of fact, I traveled all the way down to Texas. I drove down to Texas, put my Spotify, and everybody listened to it the whole entire time. I remember. Um, I think I tuned. <laughs> but as for a timeline like where you where you want to be or before you realize that we could do something different that is a great question that i don't have an exact answer to and i think if anyone answers you with a direct answer they don't that they not lying i think that when we would tell people that we were launching we did that probably 10 times we launched probably 10 times i think that there becomes a balance when it comes to technology that you have to be comfortable in terms of knowing that it's going to consistently evolve and constantly know that it's going to improve and know that you know consumers are going to really not know what they don't know but if that makes sense like they don't know that we were missing out on the chat feature or like the live video streaming because they didn't know we were building that but for us we had a not a hard time but we had a interesting time of trying to balance out of knowing that we had different features coming versus when we were to release it. So we always knew that it was gonna get better. And I think that's one thing that entrepreneurs really struggle with is like you wanna be perfect 
and there is no perfect when it comes to tech and it's always going to be evolving. So our timeline, I remember the very first time we launched, we went into the app store. We celebrated and I came downstairs for work the next day and we both looked at each other and we're like, it was too early. And we pulled it from the app store. And it was because it was like missing a major feature and like we just realized that, you know, you launch, you could launch and get like five bad reviews in the app store and like, we were very concerned about that. But when we did launch, people loved it. And like we were getting messages and emails and DMs all the time of just people thanking us for creating these experiences for them to basically have a chat room with their favorite artists. And they're like, I am on, I'm texting my favorite artists. Like, how cool is this? But yeah, I mean, to answer, I guess if I was answered, our timeline just kept evolving. So we were in places that I thought that we should have been and needed to been. Um, if I would, if hindsight, if I was to do things over, I probably would have released things and pushed things more than we did rather than waiting. Um, but I think every entrepreneur will probably have that same answer because, you know, we're perfectionists. We try, we try to make, we know what it's going to be. We're building it. So like we know what's happening. But like I said, the consumers really don't know what they don't know. So like we have celebrity investors that we still haven't leveraged yet because we're like, it has to be at this level and this perfect for it to be in their hand. I probably would have let them do it. And if they crashed the app, they crashed the app. That would have been awesome. But we didn't want to do that yet. And um, I think that this new pivot is much more strategic. It's a much easier revenue driver for us. Um, It's easier to market. Yeah. So I think that all that had to happen for us to get here. And I'm excited because like now I just feel like life is kind of breathed back into it. And like now we could actually kind of go back out there and do what we do best, which is talking to the brand. So you talked a lot about the challenges and you've had a lot of celebrities athletic and music wise um how about some highlights highlights from this process obviously obviously raising 1.5 million dollars is amazing um i think that the doors that we realized were open for us was something i never imagined we just use utilizing our network within new york was allowing me to meet people that i really never even dreamed of there were nights that i was just having dinner with neo the Grammy award winner singer um, and songwriter. And I mean, I grew up listening to his music and here I am sitting across from him, figuring out which ways that he could get involved with the company. And those are things that I never imagined would ever happen. Um, So the highlights were definitely the doors that opened, the people that we met, the excitement. I think that that was such a um, reinforcer for us is kind of, we never left the meeting without anyone saying you have like you have the next best thing. Like everyone always said that to us. And we got a lot of positive reinforcement that allowed us to continue building out what we thought was going to be the next best thing. You know, it's it's when ideas and marketing and tech all have to come together, then it just, you have to do it properly. But yeah, the highlights were definitely the people that came along the way. I think for me personally, learning more than I've probably ever learned before in terms of, you know, I worked a corporate job and this was my first time ever taking a risk on my own and being very vulnerable into the the facts that I was entering a world that I really knew nothing about. And for 14 years, I was able to really trust myself with my decision. And starting a company, you really have to lean on other people and trust them. And that was something that was very uncomfortable for me, but very rewarding in the end. 
And so if you, if you um, could speak to a, a new entrepreneur, besides some of the things that you already talked about, what would one piece of advice be that you would give them? I would say take risks in terms of your product. You obviously believe in it enough to build it um, to the point that it will never be perfect. And every time you launch and every time you do something in terms of it being your announcement or your release, if you're not releasing the next version and laughing at the version before you're doing something wrong like you should always just constantly believe in yourself in terms of not be afraid to put out into the marketplace and i think that people might have different opinions than me because it depends on what industry you're in but for me personally when it comes to tech i really think that it's such a evolving fast-paced world especially digital that you know the next the next wave is going to come and go right before your eyes so you yeah. gotta just move fast i would also say um from the raising money standpoint that's a hard thing to answer hindsight's always like yeah we could have raised more money but during it we didn't think that we needed it and you never want to raise too much so that i would also probably tell a new entrepreneur to really dig deeper in terms of really what their needs are for us at that time we didn't need it but now i could obviously say that it would have been nice to have because we were running out of money you, you've said that a couple of times you don't want to raise too much money can you explain again why why, why? Um, if you raise too much money and then you do your next valuation and you're down and you have to do a down raise, it looks very negative for your business. And also new investors could take a lot of advantage of you in that sense, because now you're not valuing yourself as much as you used to be and they could ask for more equity in return. So you never want to do that because then you're, if you do a down raise, you're going to start giving away more and more of your company and basically you'll be left with it. They always ask the question on Shark Tank, if, if you take, are you paying yourself? Right. Uh, are you taking a salary and are you paying yourself? And yeah. for some reason, they love it if they if you haven't taken a dime. Yeah. I wonder how they expect you guys to eat or any of us to eat while we're going. A lot of um, a lot of entrepreneurs don't pay themselves, and a lot of investors prefer that because they show it shows your dedication in terms of that everything is going to the company. A lot of investors don't like that answer, and they want to make sure, to your point, even that you are taking care of yourself and you don't have any additional stress because starting a company is stressful enough. So we yeah. did pay ourselves. We needed to. There was no way that we could have survived in New York not doing that. But yeah, I mean, we definitely went the last few months when the pivot was happening of not paying ourselves, which is what um, made us have to take on like our old jobs again just to get this up, up and running so we can have a salary. Yeah, I feel the same way. Uh, if, you're, if you're not paying yourself and you still have skin and bones and so on, then you're right. doing something else. Right, yeah. It's taking yeah. away from what I'm investing in then. It's a favor take because there were some investors that heard that we were going back to work, like new investors that we were talking to and they're like, well, if we do invest, I would want you guys to give yourselves a salary again and, and quit what you have going on because I want you to dedicated, which we understood. It was just, if we had no money coming in, there was no way possible that we couldn't have another job. Yeah. Um, but the hope is that we get these activations off the ground uh, starting now and we can kind of refocus everything. So now it's kind of just working two full-time jobs. <laughs> At the, at the beginning, when you were first raising money, how did you give the company a valuation? You just look at uh, kind of what your competitors in the space, and then you look at the successful kind of already existing players started off with. So you could go back and historically kind of see like what the music leads of the world, which now is TikTok, like things like that were valued at when they first started and looking at their um, what their raises look like as well. It's not a perfect science. You also don't want to value yourself too high because then, like I said, you'll have to do a down round and like 
devalue yourself and you don't want to do that. Um, so it's really just looking at the space. When you mentioned going to see what other companies, how much they raised at the very beginning, what they were valued at, is, was that just through Google or was that through your network of advisors who, who just knew that information or both? Google, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just searching on uh, different sites of what's already publicly um, available. Okay. That's right. The reason some of these questions that I'm asking is because I teach a class in entrepreneurship, two of them at William Patton. Mm-hmm. And sometimes some of these students, they're trying to create an app in the class and they'll ask me a question exactly like that. Um, they'll say, I can't find what, what a company was valued at. And they'll say, well, did yeah. you Google it, you know, and um, you answered the question for me that it's it's there. You just have yeah. to on the first page probably. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And one thing I heard you say was that you wanted, you wanted to not take a salary because because you wanted to show that you were dedicated. That's, you know, one thing. But on the other hand, when you have no money, you had to go back to work. And then you said the investors were wanting you not to work. And then they wanted you to take that. So we we did want to take a salary. We did take our we did take a salary, and that was to avoid any of the necessary stress. When right. we were doing the pivot, we decided that all of the leftover money should go directly development and stop paying ourselves. Oh, okay. okay. Which is why we had to go back to work. And then when we were going to go re back to the market with new investors. They said, "Well, what are you doing for a salary? Because when you show like your your burns and everything like that for like the the previous months, we did have a salary there. So we had to tell them that." Because we weren't getting paid, we went back to our old jobs and they said, well, if I do invest, I would I would hope that you would be able to quit that and work again 100% on each job. Um, and that was a goal for us. We were like, yeah, of course. Our, our dream is to work, obviously, just on each job, but we had to be realistic of what we have to do to survive. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when we had talked before, we talked about there was some type of trademark issue. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so not so much a trademark issue, but more that there was another company with the name Eavesdrop. So we got, I can't even say that this is a lesson to teach anyone else because I think we just got very lucky when it came to timing. But the company that had our name was not active at all within the app store for over two years. And once you hit a certain maturity date, then your company is basically like doesn't exist. So pretty much the time that when we first met, we were EVZDRP and people would say EVZDRP and they would say that in meetings. Um, and then we would say eavesdrop and they're like, well, why don't we just have the O? And we're like, we can't. But the mm-hmm. second that we really realized that we needed to have the O because people were getting confused and like, you ha- you want to make it as easy as possible for the consumer to recognize you. That other company was no longer existing and we were able to take it over. So we got very lucky in that sense. I think the cool part now for us, or I don't know if the cool, but the easy part for us now is we are a B2B. So from a consumer standpoint, they're not even going to know what each drop is. Our name could be any. It's, we're just a powered by, and then right. we're the technology that powers. But I think when you are coming up with the name for a new app and everything like that, we were trying to get creative, take out vowels, like kind of be a little bit more hip, but we realized that we're just not YouTube. Sorry. So did you do a search? Did you yeah. search? huge brainstorms we had lists and lists of what the name could be and then obviously we came up with this we loved it everyone loved it we went back and forth if like eavesdrop had a negative connotation and only like one or two people said that out of the hundreds that loved it so you got to go with your gut a lot too and you can't just like please everyone as you know so um we love the name but again now it's a little bit more it's less of a concern because consumers are not going to have to download or know what's running at what point did you i guess get a trademark lawyer to go in and, and make sure that you guys could get this name? It was pretty early on. Mm-hmm. Um, while we were setting up kind of everything in the beginning, you just want to have your ducks in a row. 
So yeah, pretty early on, we had really good advisors that work in the VC space that work with startups all the time. So they guided us a lot on like what we should be doing to kind of protect ourselves in the very beginning. And that's not to say that ever, like your students need to take that route at all. Um, but I think for us, just we both quit our jobs and this was something we were 100% in for. So we really did take every necessary step that we kind of needed to upfront to kind of get everything kind of situated in all of our paperwork. Right. What comes first, the money or the programming? Because you have this great idea. All right, let's make an app. Oh, cool. Yeah. So your first, uh, we just had an MVP when we showed people in the very, very beginning. And we had like really just decks and the idea. So like when you do your very, very first round, usually just an angel round, they're buying into the idea. They're, they're buying into you and they're buying into the idea and they're not really buying into the actual product yet. Um, like from a digital space, if it's something a little bit more physical, like I understand that prototypes are a little bit more needed. But for us, as long as we kind of describe what our, our timeline was, and where we thought we were going, our credentials in terms of our background, what our CTO's credentials was, the ability that we were actually able to build this and like how we were going to build it. Again, they, they invested in us as people. And that's why it, they say it always gets harder to raise later on when we're in the stage of kind of still proving ourselves from a proof of concept standpoint, because now we do have the product. And then it's like, okay, well, you were the idea and now you have the product. What's happening? Like, why hasn't it taken off? Or is it taking off? Or what's your timeline and things like that? And for us, we had to do this big pivot. So it kind of like really was restarting everything from the beginning in terms of what we were looking at in terms of how we were going to position ourselves to raise it. Mm. Were the, was the programming done in America? Did you go to India and hire? Was it built around skill and price? How did you find out and get a, a pool of people? And how many people did you need to put this together? Our CTO is out of India. He has a development shop of over 140 engineers and developers, and he's a Penn State graduate. So he was in the States for a while. A lot of his clients are US-based, but he actually built all the backend infrastructure of Dustin's previous company that I was applying for. So he worked on a real-time like bidding machine for a mobile network and advertising. So Dustin worked with him for years. I knew of him because I was a client, and we also got lucky, I think, sense of having that history in that relationship prior because I will say trusting someone overseas from a development standpoint is, is one of the trickiest things. You either get really taken advantage of, they don't answer to you. Like there's a lot of um there's a lot of horror stories when it comes to that. And obviously if you go domestic it's expensive. But we had about three to four time full time employees working on our development um, from our CTO's team that fluctuated based on what we needed to build. So if they were building out the chat feature, a chat specialist came on. If they were doing the pictures and video a video and picture expert came on. That kept our costs down because we were able to kind of swap in and swap out rather than having 15 developers working on it, right? We only kind of swapped in during our sprints of what we were looking to to build at the moment. I think that's a huge advice that I would give to people to make sure if you are working with a larger development shop, ask them like, is it going to be the same team working on it? And if not, how do you make sure that you're only paying for the cost of those that are full-time? So this development shop does apps for people all over the world? Yeah. Okay. And not just apps, websites, back-end development, everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to download the app now and I There's gave... There's no app. <laughs> what? There's no app anymore. We already did the pivot. Oh, okay. If it's there, it's, it's really That's just not right. functioning. It's there and I can download it, but when I give my phone number, it says invalid token. Yeah. We, we haven't touched the app in probably a year. Right. Yeah. 
Okay. So how it's going to operate now is there will be an app, but the app is going to be only client-facing. So let's say LeBron is our client. LeBron would have access to the app. He creates the experience, but now it spits out a URL. That URL is what lives anywhere in terms of, like I said, ESPN, Bleacher Report. We could create microsites for people as well. So now yeah. all people have to do is click on a link in their experience rather than the whole process of downloading and profiles. Right. Um, so the app portion will only be for the creators. And then from a consumer standpoint, you'll only go into the experience wherever it lives. How do the fans know when, when a celebrity is, like, does he put something out or? Well, that's the beautiful part. The fact that we're going to be now working with the brand or the publications or the athletes, whatever, it's there now. They own it. So the way that they would market any campaign that they have going on, they would do it again for us, create these moments, but they have a much larger audience size and base. So that's the that's the beautiful part for us. We don't we no longer have to be a marketing oh, aspect in terms yeah. of promoting, right? Like yes. ESPN can now put on their social media saying we're going live wrong on Friday at noon, tune in. That's right. millions of people that are gonna see that rather than us trying to figure out ways to that's good that, yeah that's very interesting so my uh kind of towards the end my question is how with covid and the shutdown how did that affect or did it affect anything that you guys were doing because obviously there's no sports right now there's no yeah. festivals there's nothing like that so where is it that you are in the process did it affect or didn't it affect you as much as it would have i think that we have been in this kind of like waiting game to, again to get the tech um into the place that we know that it needs to get for now putting in the hands of these huge brands like um, my advice before of like just going out if you're creating an app like if it crashes that's kind of like a token of success sometimes um, for us now putting this on an ESPN or on these huge publications has to be properly working so it's a little bit more of getting it right this time in terms of just the tech aspect of it and also knowing what people are looking for with COVID specifically I think for us it kind of gave us life again in terms of knowing how much this is now needed right like we saw on Instagram that there were DJs live for the entire day that people were tuned into the artists don't get any stream counts for that with us they do so like we saw the importance that when we kind of make this right we are creating content that people need more than ever if concerts aren't happening if sporting events are not happening how else can they keep in contact or feel that direct like relationship with their favorite idols or athletes or artists so i think it's needed more now than ever and i think the world is kind of going to continue like this we're not going to go back to a norm where at least not fast at all for people to really feel those public large mass events anymore and the digital world is kind of you know companies are just telling people they don't have to go back to work like it's it's about comfort so i think creating this connectivity at home and this this digital era is going to be more needed than ever and i think that for us that opens up such a broader range of what we could do i'm currently even working on a, with a fashion brand of trying to figure out ways to do their first ever virtual runway show through our app where we could have real-time shopping and ask questions to the owner about like the inspiration behind the pieces and like how the fits like what sizes are and stuff like that so it's like fashion shows are not happening but I think the flip side of that is where I know that we are so much more needed right now I also know that brands are had major major budget cuts based on what their products were right some have benefited from COVID and some have took most took a huge hit so I think we're just kind of being sensitive and navigating the waters a lot in terms of what makes sense in terms of also being not toned 
up and sensitive to where people are in terms of their advertising budgets or their content budgets and stuff like that. Kind of art and science mixed together. Yeah. Absolutely right about that. Yeah. And I think even more so now, besides COVID, just with everything else happening in the world and the protests and the riots, like there's another layer of sensitivity that has to be put onto it where I think that eavesdrop could actually make a really positive impact in terms of what we're pushing out in terms of connecting people in a positive way through music, through being able to have a forum to discuss things, giving music labels the opportunity to control the conversation. And I think there could be fun ways because it is a website now, right? Like mm-hmm. now in a URL, you could create content around it when it comes to donations or, or promoting black artists or things like that. So there are, um, there are ways that we could really push this forward in a positive impact away with what's going on and that's things that i'm working on right now just trying to kind of bring everything together what's going on in the world and making sure that i'm uh, doing the right thing i guess is the best you could say because a lot of you know everyone has to really take a step back and kind of think of how they're themselves in the marketplace i think a website like yours would absolutely be beneficial mm-hmm. Agreed. yeah <laughs> it's just figuring out the right way and the right partners and the right artists and the right brands so it's a lot that goes into it and that's what i'm doing for the next few weeks every single day <laughs> How do you get an app onto the app store? Like for music, we have aggregators, like a distro kid, a tune core to get our music onto Spotify. How do you do it with apps? You could um, submit anything to the app store. So it's a whole process of them actually, you submit it to the app store and then they take time to actually review your app and it has to hit certain criteria and they read through kind of like your background and everything like that and they don't approve it for sometimes over. So you have to wait for that. But from a technical standpoint, that was not what I was doing. But you do have to think about all like SEO in terms of search terms of what you want people to review in the app store. You have to figure out kind of every time you do updates that that's being updated, your keywords that you know that people are going to be looking for. So there's a lot that goes into the actual figuring out what you want to portray in the app store. And then there's the waiting game of making sure that Apple approves it from a technical standpoint of just everything that's on their end of what you need to actually buy. Like we've been rejected before for a certain build that we do that are just minor fixes that our dev team will go in and update and then it's approved the next day because you we might not have like a certain like there's like there's certain things that you have to fill out within the app store of just when you actually do upload it and if you like miss any they'll just tell you to, like to refill it out or so. so it's a bit of a process but um you have to think really everything even visually what you want your app to look like when people are in the app store to make it appealing and then also come up with a really nice narrative for when people are looking at like your different screens of what you want people to think and or at least people know of what your company stands for in a very short period of time um understanding that when people are searching for music and apps and connecting and live there's going to be you that pops up as well so what type of space do you want to be in without getting lost and you mentioned ios but you didn't talk about android so what was the thinking there why you did not include it for android so the thinking was straight budget so typically how it works is when you get the app right it's i don't want to say it's as easy as a copy and paste because my developer would not be happy that I say that because it's not a simple copy and paste but technically that's kind of what it is you build it for one platform and then you have to kind of make sure it's compatible for Android but Android has so many different sub things underneath the Android brand that iOS only has the one so you build it for iOS to save money make sure that everything's there so you can kind of copy it over to Android so for us, it was a pure budget. Now, we don't have to worry about that because we're not on Apple. But that was our mindset for it. Some people, they build it and they just do both right away. And then every time there's an update, they have to do both. We knew that it was going to take a little while for us to get it right. So we started with one. And then we were both, the next plan was to do a reiteration for 
um, and that was obviously very requested. But um, yeah, it was a budget play for us. Okay. Um, yeah, and you did this, you, you mentioned earlier, uh, you're from New York and you were not in Silicon Valley while you were doing this. So can you talk about that? I guess you don't need to be in Silicon Alley to get an app done. No, I think New York is kind of catching up very much though. And I think that my biggest advice to entrepreneurs is to use your network as much as possible. And that's just what we ended up being very lucky to have. And a lot of the investors that we met with and reached out to were New York based and LA based, not even Silicon Valley. So or Valley. So um, we we didn't really have anyone from there. But um, yeah, it didn't really affect us that way. I think the more and more you kind of like read about it, there's also different markets that are trying to build their VC up even more to have more presence across um, the world and not just Silicon Valley and that much kind of central point there. I don't think that's really the case anymore. And, and talk just a little bit more about the networking, because I think that's something that probably young people listening don't understand about the value of the network and the curation of your network. You didn't just, okay, I want to build an app and I'm going to go on LinkedIn and find people. I'm just yeah. built this for a long time and talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. Well, I think it comes from us, the, the industry that we're in. So we had access to obviously a lot of brands from working at different agencies. We had access to our developer because he built uh, Dustin's backend infrastructure for his past company. Dustin's past company used to be a startup. So they had VCs that we were able to um, tap along to as well that believed in him and then believed in me when they met me. Um, but I think just being in New York for so long, we had friends that worked all over the industries in terms of the music labels, different brands themselves, like Nike. Like So what we did is we just went, we casted a really, really wide net. And I think that, I think I learned that when I kind of got the startup bug, when I was meeting with all the people that no one really knew of, I never said no to a meeting. Um, and that led me to meet a lot of amazing people that I kept in touch with that were going through the same thing that I was going through probably years ago. So I relied on a lot of people to help us. And then you have to have a lot of gut instincts as well of knowing what's right for your own business. But your family members, their family members, like just picking everyone's brain and just keeping that kind of journal of everything is so key because, you know, your your team and those who surround you are what's going to make you successful. It's not, you can't just rely on yourself. You mentioned you mentioned family. Do you have a father or an uncle or somebody named Alan Skolnick? I don't. Okay, because I used to work in the 90s in the record industry. And there was a man named Alan Skolnick who worked at a record chain called Record World. And then he went over to what was called Nobody Beats the Wiz. And he was oh, a cool. part of, uh, I forget what he bought, but of music, maybe urban music or something when he was there. And so uh, I should probably reach out to him and tell him I'm long, his long lost cousin. See how it goes. <laughs> there we go. And he's a billionaire, by the way, too. So. Oh, I would love to meet him. Imagine if he was, that'd be cool. <laughs> Hi, Dad. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, um, no one in my family with that name. And really no one in my family, like my mom and dad weren't entrepreneurs either. Um, I don't really know where it stemmed from. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Well, Christine, do you have anything else you'd like to ask? Oh, she covered everything that I had on the list. <laughs> Dr. Stapon. Anything else? Oh, I enjoyed it. Very interesting. Amazing. Thank you so much. Uh, one, I guess, one final question, if I yes. may. Yes. Um, business plan. Did you create a business plan? At what point did you do that? Were you updating it as you went? Do you ever still go back to it? Can you kind of fill us out a little bit on that? Oh, yeah. We, um, we had our initial business plan. You update that all the time. 
as things evolve and as you learn and as you realize that you have to listen to the brands, you listen to your consumers, you listen to, I mean, when we first went live, we didn't even have live streaming. So a lot of the number one things that the fans were asking for were how do I see the person that I'm communicating, not just listen to their music and chat with them. So live video streaming has to be added. So then you you update your business plan as you're kind of building along. You try to set timelines, understanding that tech is tech and knowing that things either are going to take longer or shorter. Um, but you do have to press hard timelines on your dev team and make sure that everyone's kind of doing checks and balances and kind of staying on top of each other, um, paying attention to your burn rate to make sure you're not going over too much because investors do not want to see that. But the business plan is always updated. From an investor standpoint, we like to update them every one to three months. That's kind of like the standard. Um, or unless there's something really big that we're doing in terms of a big announcement, we do that as well whenever but for the most part, we're big into just open communication and making sure that everyone is aware of kind of where we're at. I mean, they're the ones that we're kind of relying on to to help us out. So there's no reason to keep anything when you know that you built your investors and you built your advisors to basically do exactly that and help you along the way. I think you helped us along the way by answering every one of our questions honestly and earnestly. So thank you very much. Much. Of course. Yeah. My pleasure. Yes. Thank so you guys so clap. much. Clap for Marissa. Very good. Hopefully our next conversation, I'll have all the activations set. We could talk about all the success that we're That would be great. That would be great. We really hope um, you got you have some great success over there. And thank you. You know it's Marissa with one S, so you obviously left the last S off for savings. There you so, go. Right. Maybe you'll be able to <laughs> get that. Oh, yes. There yes. we go. Yeah, so thank you guys so much. Right. Thank you. you guys. Thank you. Have a great day. Dave. Me too. Bye-bye. Bye now. All right. All right, Christine. What hmm? What'd you think, Christine? Oh, I, I thought it was good. Because I, I mean I knew I knew it because I joined this when they were still in beta and I I knew all about this and but I never knew that because it didn't work out exactly how they wanted it to. Like I always had questions from before, like how do they monetize in their plan and the whole nine yards. But when I reached out and talked to her, she told me, Well, we're no longer an app, we're now a website. I'm like there you go. I mean, is that not perfect? Right. So. Well, the app is still at uh, the App Store. No, I know. I have the app. It's just, and it has all the old stuff on it. All, all my Spotify playlists and everything else is on there. Wow. You know, and pictures that I put on there because I was able to put pictures and everything else on there. But I haven't used it in a while. Yeah, well, now you can't use it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She said, yeah. Well, hopefully our users use this. I'm sorry. Our listeners use this. From yeah. many, many listens and for many, many years. And hopefully as uh, 2029 goes into the sunset, people are still listening back to this podcast from 2020 saying, wow, those three, they just really hammered Marissa and they got what they needed. Yeah. So this ends our show, Dr. Esteban, our music business. What do we do at the end of every show, Dr. Esteban? What do we say? Alvita We say not that. At the end of every show, instead of hello or Alvita say, we say, Nadia!
Situation. You're losing hope, I'm losing patience 